PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we actually help you study for hashtag EM life. One rapid podcast episode at a time. My name is Blake Briggs, joined today by Dr. Iltafat Hussein. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge, as we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs. And, you know, as usual, we're going to plug our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs but want a TikTok version of our podcast for learning, that's what our EM Rapid Bombs podcast is. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. Don't waste your time just studying for the boards where you feel like you have wasted and drained out your life energy of forcing yourself to memorize silly Rosh review questions, which are great for studying for the boards. However, that's just it. They're great for studying for the boards. In reality, we do both. We give over 220 podcast episodes in counting, with new episodes dropped daily. Each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop high-yield bombs in a question-answer format to get seared into your memory. On average, we drop three to four episodes a week. You get a new podcast basically daily to your feed. And the key is here is that we don't want you to waste your time studying for just the test with traditional question banks. We want to revolutionize the way you study and organize your life. You're going to feel better about the way you study. When you're listening to our podcast, it's not just, okay, I'll get this right on the test. It's, no, I know this now for clinical practice. There's a difference between the two. We tell you about what's on the test, what's in real life, you know, if they differ or they agree on it. And we really just help you get these rapid bomb pearls. It's called drip learning, where you're learning a little bit each day in a very tangible amount where you don't feel like you're forcing yourself to study. Optimize your time by listening to our board pearls that will help you with the tests, but more importantly, with life. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at our main website, emboardbombs.com, and click the links to the website. You can also just go to emrapidbombs.supercast.com. There's a link in the podcast, the show notes of this episode, if you're on Spotify or Apple, whatever. So Iltafat has been silent this whole time because he has been tinkering with this question, just tinkering with it, about NFTs and setting up our uh, <laughs> NFT account. So let's dig into it here. A 30-year-old female presents to the ED three weeks after a spontaneous vaginal delivery. She has a fever pain with intercourse, and vaginal discharge. She has an IUD which was placed after her recent delivery. She states she had trichomonas several years ago, and she has a history of ovarian cysts. While she's here, she would like you to take out her IUD, as she suspects this is the cause. Further, she makes it clear she is going to make an NFT out of you taking her IUD out of her. You make the mistake of asking her what a NFT is, and you learn it's a non-fungible token that people actually pay money for. She tells you she's willing to split the profit of her NFT. You look into it, intrigued, but politely decline. Which of the following is the greatest risk factor for this patient for pelvic inflammatory disease? A. Recent vaginal delivery. B. Age greater than 30. C. History of ovarian cysts, D, prior trichomonas infection, or E, current IUD in place. Dr. Briggs, what's the correct answer? And would you have made that NFT? 
incorrect answer here is going to be D. Prior trichomonas infection is the greatest risk factor for this patient with suspected PID. You know, it's really interesting because NFTs, I've heard of them before, but I have not done as in-depth of a topic. Oh. Uh, I just read an article on BuzzFeed and The Verge, and I feel a lot more confident now. It's fantastic. You know, what we should do is make some EM board bombs NFTs. We're going to do that. You know what? We're going to make some EM board bomb NFTs and, and give them out <laughs> to our subscribers. Got it. Done. <laughs> hey, fantastic. so what are we talking about here? So we're talking about PID, public inflammatory disease. And yeah, it's not a fun topic. Um, both of us uh, weren't really like super engaged to this. In fact, even uh, Iltafat said, you know what? I'm actually going to pick up an extra shift. Um, <laughs> just I don't know what to talk just, about this. So yeah. I, I would not do that. Not, not worth that much. Sorry. Sorry. We're talking about uh, an acute infection of the upper female genital tract that ascends from anatomically lower region. It involves any or all of the uterus or ovaries, and 85% of cases are caused by sexually transmitted infections. So PID accounts for a frequent cause of ED visits, and it's really tough to diagnose because the biggest problem, biggest barrier is that you're probably not going to have STI testing available or the results just aren't available at the time of evaluation. But it's critical that you, know, you recognize this and start treating it early because there's a lot of severe long-term complications, especially if you send these patients home and they don't get treated for STI and they're lost to follow-up. So the most common causes of PID is Neisseria gonorrhea, often the most severe cases too, and Chlamydia trichomatis. Good job. I've, I've, it's Good so job. weird saying proud of you for the saying species. This. Yeah, yeah, I know, because like normally to say Neisseria and Chlamydia, but... Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I was kind of hoping you would mess up on them and I could make fun of you, but... You actually, yeah. You actually well, one, only you. only one of us is ESL. <laughs> That's true. Only one of us did that, and it's quite apparent <laughs> as well. Anyway, so on the board exams, which one are you going to pick? Chlamydia. That is the most common. Yeah, cause. it's always it's That's a great cause. board pro yeah. right there. That's going to be your likely etiology for PID. So always pick that. But you know, again, in real life, these infections are you know, typically polymicrobial. Exactly. Exactly right. Hey, so some yeah. of the risk factors, you know, we were talking about them. And it's, it's so important to know, you know, general epi in emergency medicine, just because of the volume of patients we see. And we see so many across uh, different age groups and with key risk factors as well. So uh, when it comes to PID in particular, those with multiple sexual partners, they're at highest risk of developing PID. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but let's talk about the age group. So younger age, 15 to 25, it's another key risk factor. Mm-hmm. Previous STIs and a lack of barrier contraception are also risk factors. Um, this is pretty crazy. The PI, prior PID, it carries a 25% risk of reoccurrence. That's interesting. And yeah, right. And PID is actually, it's pretty rare in pregnancy after 12 months. This is also very interesting, the pregnancy that thing. Is, right? Really fascinating. Somehow like a, it's almost like protective in a way. Yeah. Although condoms have been found to prevent over 50% of STI infections, if used correctly, that is, right? <laughs> Consistent uh, barrier protection use in never married women is unfortunately less than 30%. So most male partners have asymptomatic infections around 30%. So again, that really just results, unfortunately, in transmission is very easy to females when you've got people just that are not aware of what's going on. So a bit unfortunate there. Right. Um, and despite historical opinions, modern IUDs do not cause any significant increase in risk for PID. So that's really important. Because, so interesting. Uh, yeah. You remember how it's such I a myth. To, 
there's such a myth, right? The, the risk of PID is limited to the first three weeks post-insertion, but beyond that, uh, it's not. It's kind of like the risk of IUDs for ectopic, like everyone talks about that. Right. But in reality, the risk of an ectopic from IUD is less than the general public, but it's just because the thought is, okay, if you get an IUD and you're pregnant, then yes, is a high concern. It could be an ectopic, but it doesn't increase your risk because overall your risk of pregnancy is way down. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, 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 Just, it's like one of those things, honestly, it's kind of difficult to explain to patients as well. So what about removing an IUD in the ED if there's an you know, active infection? Oh, boy. We strongly caution against it. We really do. Okay, let's just calm down with this. First, you know, this is 100% wrong on all test questions. Exams never want you to remove a woman's birth control. That oh needs God. to be a discussion that they have with their OB doc, right? So secondly, most guidelines note that leaving an IUD in place while treating PID is reasonable. With inpatient assessment versus outpatient follow-up done again, as I mentioned, with GYN to determine you know, removal if there's no improvement. I can't believe people actually like talk about that as an argument on like the foam world, like arguing to take that out. I, I don't know how that has it has to be a discussion. Yeah, well, you know, they need something to discuss about, right? <laughs> I mean, they get bored on Twitter, so they need something to rage yeah. against, right? Yeah, they clearly just need Elon to take over. So, yeah, he's, I'm sure he'll allow their raging to further flow out and maybe allow some of them to come back that have been kicked off. So. Come back into the fold. Hey, let's right. talk about the clinical features here. So besides the risk factors, the history and physical exam are the greatest combination of diagnostic power. You don't hear that often, right? In this modern age of CT right. and lab testing and rapid, right. uh, you know, tests of some type, the diagnostic power of history and physical alone is 65 to 90%. Now, yeah, that's a huge range. It's not that impressive. That's all you have, though. There's nothing else that can help you here in this case. The mm -hmm. presumptive diagnosis is enough to begin treatment, as the risk of not treating is too great due to the complication of you know, infertility and other issues of morbidity and mortality from infection. So you should have a very low threshold to suspect PID and initiate treatment in a young, sexually active female suggestive history and physical exam. In fact, one time I'll remember a story, it's actually a few months ago, and uh, I've tried really hard in my career so far to really try to hone in on PID as, a, as another cause of abdominal pain more and more. I remember I, so I had a female admitted, or I was going to transfer her to GYN admission, and I called the OBGYN on that service, and they were extremely nice, and they literally said, oh yeah, we would totally, all the time, want to favor on the side of uh, security and admit these people just in case and then follow up for testing in the morning. If it's negative, whatever, we don't care. Right. But like every single person you talk to in the uh, obviously uh, women's health field will say absolutely err on the side of caution. Don't dismiss this and send these patients home because they'll be lost to follow up. So symptoms often develop acutely over a few days. Uh, there's a slower process that can happen. It has a broad range of presentation. Like some patients could be virtually asymptomatic early on. They could have just mild abdominal pain. Some people could develop, you know, intra-abdominal sepsis and look awful, uh, leading to infertility. The most important symptom, however, is lower abdominal pain that is often bilateral and less than two weeks in duration. Many report that it worsens with intercourse, with sudden movement, or before or during menses. Other GU symptoms, of course, can include, you know, purulent vaginal discharge, abnormal uterine bleeding, urinary frequency. None of these are necessary for the diagnosis, but they can just be there. You notice that we haven't cited any, like, numbers for you, like likelihood ratios, because no one knows. Yes. <laughs> no one knows. Hey, talk about the pelvic exam. It's come under fire a lot recently. 
Yeah, it's kind of fire for being poorly specific and poorly sensitive. You know, we agree that the exam alone is not diagnostic, but you know, it's a part of the overall clinical picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you take it with the pelvic pain, vaginal discharge, bleeding story. It's again, it's a part of the overall clinical picture. Uh, physical exam will show tenderness to palpation. You know, the lower abdomen. Uh, some of the severe cases, they can actually have um, rebound tenderness, fever, decreased bowel sounds. So the key thing, though, uh, again, this is pathognomonic finding, right, for mm-hmm. PID is going to be cervical motion, uterine, and or adnexal tenderness, in particular, mm-hmm. cervical, you know, CMT is how oftentimes, you know, you'll document this. And this is all on a uh, bimanual physical exam. Sure. So while this will likely be your exam answer in real life, it's not oftentimes seen. You know, people talk about the chandelier test, all that other stuff. Um, but again, um, pathognomonic finding is cervical motion, uterine, enterodinexal tenderness on bimanual physical exam. And, um, you know, a couple other complications that can be seen on exam. What are those? Oh God! Bringing up Fitzhugh Curtis, every every medical go. student's dream. I know. Yeah, every medical <laughs> student's dream, right? Yeah, when I always ask them, "What's your differential quadrilateral pain?" They say, "Well, cholecystitis or pancreatitis, but it also could be Fitzhugh Curtis." <laughs> I don't know why. I used to always pronounce it Hugh Fitz Curtis. Um, well, we've established earlier. There's some reasons for that. There's, but I don't know why I was. I would always like <laughs> switch those two. I'd always just be like, well, maybe mm. it's Hugh Fitzcurtis. And one of my residents was like, "What you mean, Fitzhugh?" I'm like, "Oh, that's right. That's yes. right. You've heard of Fitzhugh Curtis, but have you heard of Hugh Fitzcurtis?" <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, patients with vertebral quadrant tenderness palpation and likely due to perihepatitis caused by mm-hmm. PID. And this happens when the liver capsule becomes inflamed, but note, there's there's absolutely no stromal involvement. That's the, you know, it's the difference here. People always say, oh, well, we'll just get LFTs and double check that. I'm like, well, the LFTs aren't going to matter. They're going to be minimally elevated, if at all. It's super rare, right. less than 10% seen in all PID cases, and the pain is classically pleuritic. And if you do feel a distinct adnexal mass on exam, on your pelvic exam, it could be a tube ovarian abscess caused by PID. These are also pretty rare. And we have that in the handout on our website for more details. And we'll try to talk a little bit of that at the end here. But let's talk about the diagnosis here. You know, we've already established the fact that the clinical features are going to be your best bet, right? There's no single test. But of course, you're going to get swabs. And tell me more about that, Iltvat. Right. So, you know, you're going to be grabbing a urine pregnancy. Obviously, (laughs) you you know, consider getting HIV testing, you know, syphilis serology as well. You're also going to be getting swabs for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and you can collect those via the urine um, or obviously during the pelvic exam. Make sure you always collect a microscopy of the vaginal discharge as well to look for a trick, a trichomonas. Uh, this is another STI that needs antibiotic therapy. If you want to go the extra mile or if you have suspicion of another diagnosis or tubovarian abscess, you should order a transvaginal ultrasound, which may show thickened and fluid-filled fallopian tubes and some other nonspecific findings. If you Again, you're looking for tubovarian abscess. If you find that, you know, those obviously going to support your diagnosis, but absence of, you know, any findings doesn't mean that PID is not present. I think that's really important to understand. So your transvaginal ultrasound can actually be completely normal, but clinically, um, the picture could obviously still be PID. You shouldn't wait to identify the tubovarian abscess to make the diagnosis is what we're trying to say. Absolutely. 
Hey, so let's do the takeaway here and and wrap this up. Takeaway is the sooner you get antibiotics on board, the better. You got a high index of suspicion here. I can't tell you the number of cases that I've seen of females getting large workups in the ED or another ED, and then they come and I'm taking care of the ED. And you know they've gotten the CT, they've gotten all this workup, their urine's even negative. And all you do is you go in the room, do a little bit more of a physical exam, a little bit more of a history, sexual history. You do a pelvic, and everything adds up to saying, I think this female has PID. And you know it's it's it is a misdiagnosis. We got to do better at diagnosing this. Uh, it's missed a lot of times. Got to do the pelvic. In, I mean, you really yeah. just have to do the pelvic yeah. at the end of the yeah. day, right? So pelvic and just a good detailed history. I think the sexual history is something we miss all the time too. So there are multiple complications that can come from PID. So the threshold to treat should be low. The first thing is, should they stay in the hospital or can they go home? Well, the indications I think are the same as polynephritis, right? You know, you're going to have nausea and vomiting, can't take PO uh, medications, severe abdominal pain, not amenable to pain meds, I guess. Um, any evidence of a TOA, tubovarian abscess. Any possible need for invasive evaluation or surgical intervention, you know, pregnancy, intolerance or resistant oral meds, you know, all that kind of stuff. It all kind of is the same pretty much as any other indication for someone with an infection that you diagnose them with, right? Cellulitis or polynephritis. Right. So the easy summary here is any patient who has vital sign abnormalities, fever, tachycardia, looks unwell, or cannot t- tolerate PO should be admitted. Piece of cake. So if they're going to be hospitalized, what are we giving them? Right. If they're going to be hospitalized, you're going to be starting them on IV cefotoxin or IV ceftriaxone plus doxy. And if they're going home? So if they're going home, you can give them IM ceftriaxone. You know, and these are patients that are less than 150 kgs or one gram for patients that are greater than 150 kgs plus 100 milligrams doxy BID times 14 days. This is important. You know, there've been some updates in guidelines over the past few years. So just remember that plus doxy as well, uh, giving them the IM ceftriaxone. Add flagell 500 milligrams PO BID for 14 days. If they have an IUD, remember what we said, you don't need to take that out right away. They can see their OB guide or PCP. They can decide whether to keep it or, um, or remove it. And before the patient leaves, it's important to counsel them on the importance of medication adherence, avoiding you know, intercourse until treatment is done, and making sure that their partner is tested and treated as well. Um, some states actually allow you to write a prescription script for partners as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dr. Briggs, I got to run off to shift. Mm-hmm. You think you can wrap it up for me? Oh, I sure can. I'm happy to. Thanks, man. All right. See you later. Bye. Good luck. So for TOA diagnosis, so the diagnosis follows the same steps as PID. In addition, grab an ultrasound or a CT to better identify the abscess. Ultrasound really is preferred here. On the ultrasound, you will see a multilocular mass with signs of inflammatory debris. On CT, you'll be able to see inflammatory signs and note the rim-enhancing thick walls of the mass, hopefully, if it's large enough. So for management of TOAs, if there's any signs of peritonitis, you've got to be concerned for rupture. And this is now a surgical emergency. Even if these signs aren't present, surgery and drainage is often advised if the abscess is greater than 7 centimeters. If the patient is postmenopausal, you should evaluate for the possibility of underlying malignancy, since there's a high rate of concurrence uh, found among PID and those with malignancy, which is very fascinating to me. Very interesting. All right, let's wrap this up and do a summary. So PID, very difficult diagnosis. There's no solid gold standard test that's going to help you here. It's a correlation of the history and physical exam, as well as early initiation of antibiotics and following up those STD testing, chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomonas, as well as the additional you know, HIV, RPR you can get as well. 
So remember antibiotics. Easy summary here. Any patient who has vital side abnormalities, fever, tachycardia, looks unwell, cannot tolerate VO, admit them. Anybody going home, you're going to give them ceftriaxone, intramuscular, or IV if they have one, 500 milligrams for patients less than 150 kilograms, or one gram for those greater than 150 kilograms. You're also going to send them home on doxy, 100 milligrams, for 14 days. I know Iltifat mentioned metronidazole. This is now standard of care for most places I see. You should be sending patients with PID all home on metronidazole 14 days due to the high concurrent rate of trichomotis infections. And that's it. Remember to check out our website, emborebombs.com, for more knowledge. As usual, I want to plug our premium podcast one more time, EM Rapid Bombs. Don't waste your time studying for the test with traditional question banks. Optimize your time by listening to our board pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. Thanks again for listening. Drop an Apple review if you can. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll catch you next time. See you.